J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On the show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello. I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I have another thrilling author for you all. Thomas Tracy is from Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas, in the United States. He's come on the show to talk about his book, The Heroes, which was released in August 2022. The story in brief is the work of Christian fiction, offering the real faith journeys of ordinary people like a janitor, waitress, Uber driver, pizza delivery person, and a social worker. It shares a message of faith molded on adversity, team building, plus reveals how God gifts the chosen as opposing those who are already prepared. What does a restauranter from Seattle and an oil field foreman from West Texas and a burnt-out Chicago cop having common, all gathering in Nashville with seven others to attend a Faith Hero Award ceremony organised by a Christian TV network. A spurious TV faith healer? Well, we'll find out very shortly. But first, I just want to fill you in as to who Thomas Tracy is. He grew up in Michigan. He qualified there as a neurologist, moved to Fort Worth in Texas with his then family. He operated in private practice, plus he served as chief of staff at a main hospital in the area. If that wasn't enough, he was on the National Board of Examiners of Neurologists and Psychiatrists. His professional life was very exacting. However, his personal life had a few ups and downs along the way. He's currently married to his third wife, Diane, and life is a little bit more blended for him, having retired from full-time professional life some five years ago. He has six grandchildren and a young niece. Nowadays, he has readjusted his life and pursuing new ventures like writing. So let's invite him on the show to talk a little bit about himself and, of course, this book, The Heroes. Thomas Tracy, come and join me on Talking Books. Well, thank you, John. It's a real pleasure and honor to uh, to have this opportunity to talk about my book <clears throat> and also to meet you. You're a very interesting person yourself. So, um, yeah, I, I I think you got everything right about my, my life history. There was more stuff, but yeah, you very wisely kept some of that out. So, Oh, yeah. We've had a couple of meetings here, everybody, before we've come to do the live recording. So it should go smoothly, everybody, because we've done a few rehearsals. That's live. Now, Thomas, before we emerge, you know, immerse ourselves into your book, would you care to tell the general audience who Thomas Tracy is and how and why you penned this book? Well, you know, I... I uh... 
I was in private practice in, in uh, Fort Worth for 38 years. Uh, and that was, you know, men identify themselves by what they've done. I'm extremely blessed to have a blended family uh, that is very, very well uh, in love with each other and functional. And and that's um, that's something you just can't, you know, plan on. Um, I do, uh, I, I really enjoy my retirement. So I may have told you, um, when I went into retirement, uh, somebody very wise told me to go in with four hobbies. And so for some reason, I decided writing fiction would be good, which makes no sense because I didn't read a lot of fiction. I read newspapers and medical stuff. And um, so, but in reading all of the uh, events, we'll call them events, uh, most of them unseemly here in the U.S., um, I decided as a Christian uh, to write a book that would point out that God is still active in the world, uh, even in these huge issues and problems, which we see absolutely no solution for. And so I've highlighted three of those in the book, and um, and we'll be talking about those in a little bit. So I, anyways, I started writing fiction. It took me a while to learn how to write fiction. Uh, I'm now trying to write screenplays based on some uh, part of the book that I've uh, already written and, and embarking on a new screenplay that uh, hopefully I'll have out later this year. Um, and then, of course, I had to pick up steel guitar because I live here in Texas, and it's like in the Constitution, I think, that you have to like country music and play something. Really? Not really. Yes. Not. So I, I do. It's, it's right over there in my office here. Um, and so that was that was great. And then I, I, I like to to cook, John, and I've cooked a number of things that I enjoy cooking. Uh, the Meat one loves. that what's that? Meatloafs. Yes, meat. Oh, yes, I meatloaf. So, um, I'll tell you this rather sad. This very sad part of my life was my my son was murdered uh, about ten years ago, um, and it was just hor horrible. Found his body. It was just a life horrible experience in the pride so my faith got me through that and i won't go through the whole story of that but in the process uh somebody brought some hamburgers over to uh while, while you're in shock and you're just trying to get through the next hour uh and it was very nice kind thing to do and when i got through you never get over but you get through stuff like that i decided i found i stumbled across a meatloaf uh recipe that was actually features bourbon and bacon, which I think are wonderful things to have in your meatloaf. And uh, so I, I decided what I would do is to offer people in crisis, uh, grief, in horrible situations, a hug on the on the side, you know, tell them that what they're going through sucks, and offer them a meatloaf. And I never got a, a you know a, a no on that. So. Um, I've made this meatloaf multiple times, and if we ever meet, I'll probably force one on you, John. And, um, you know, I've had things said to me like the best meatloaf I've ever had. And, you know, anyways, so he's, there's that. He's not bragging uh, there, folks. He's not bragging, really. Not, no, not, if it's true, it's no brag. So um, <laughs> that's a Texas thing. Uh, so, and, and lastly, is the travel. As we've talked, I do enjoy traveling. Uh, we were. We were making we do one international uh, trip for here from Texas before the COVID, 
of course that put a dent in that but w- since then we've been uh we've been to to london my my wife had never been to london so we went there and and um we went to france and italy and norway to the fjords and we just did a wonderful mediterranean cruise and anyway so that's that's those are our hobbies and um it works out very very well uh and but but faith is extremely important to me and that's why i basically why i write this book okay so let's open the book then shall we thomas yes. um the first part nashville you have approximately 26 short chapters in this section now we're not going to go into all the chapters, everyone, because that's not the whole idea of the podcast. The whole idea of the podcast is to give you a flavor as to what this book is about. So we'll go to some of the chapters. Hmm. Um, so as you can formulate your own opinions. If you want to know more about what's occurring here in the whole plot, the whole book, well, the simple answer to that is go and buy the book. I can't say fairer than that. So... Let's go to Thomas, the scenes um, here, which we both agree we're, we're going to best reflect the book. So the chapters, a day off, and Stephanie and Donnie stood out for me towards the beginning of the book. In a day off, you start, I quote, on Thursday morning, the group shuffled down to breakfast. They had been flown to Nashville from five different locations by MLCM, the More Like Christian Network, to receive Faith Hero Awards, which came with cash prizes. They were slated to be on a live broadcast Saturday evening, but Friday was for training, but today was exploring Nashville as a day off. And... In Stephanie and Donnie, a wedding reception in her restaurant. So my question to you, Thomas, is what's going on in this part of the book? You know, the scenes and the storylines, both in Stephanie and Donnie and the first one, A Day Off. Tell us. Well, in A Day Off, uh, picture this. the These 10 individuals, two from each of five locations in the country, have been summoned to Nashville to receive these Faith Hero Awards. And they're kind of at a loss to know why they were selected. They were nominated by people in their homes. And uh, so they come to Nashville, and uh, the the person who's putting together says, well, tomorrow's a, a, you know, meet, go to Nashville and find out about Nashville Day, and then we're going to do the show later. So they meet, they meet, uh, the, the, the first day together is a day off, where they start talking with each other. And they've already been exposed to uh, a horrible uh, fake faith healer televangelist, which uh, are not that uncommon here in the States. And uh, all the heroes have, have a terrible opinion about this guy and they want to take him down. So they that's the, that's the original, that happens very quickly in the start of the book. And so on a day off, it's a, it's a breakfast scene and they're starting to learn about each other you're starting to learn as a reader about their personalities and maybe some of their strengths and weaknesses and uh, maybe get a glimpse as to what they look like. And so that that is really what's going on. Uh, and also they start to imagine what would it be like to do a sting for this guy? Because these people have never worked together before. Even the two that come from each locale aren't, aren't necessarily that close to each other. 
Uh, and so and nobody has an idea of what the other person's talents are. It's kind of like putting a team together uh, and you've got a, you know, whether a football team, whatever, you have different different team members are supposed to do different jobs and you just dumped a bunch of people and the goal is, oh yeah, put it together and do do something. Well, you know, that makes no sense unless God's involved. So that's what's going on with the day off. Now, when Stephanie and Donnie, uh, Stephanie, you see, is a restaurateur from Seattle and she's had a, a bad experience with men, distant father, uh, a loveless marriage that, that ended. <clears throat> and then the second one was this gorgeous uh, sales rep who comes to her restaurant to schmooze. Uh, Bo Boeing is the big uh, airline uh, air aircraft manufacturer in Seattle. And so he is trying to schmooze those uh, executives to buy parts from his company and all that stuff. And so he has dinners there. She falls for him big time because she is lonely and he is her drug of choice, as they say. And so he's a real oily, terrible, lying, womanizing, drunken guy. And so she he has this horrible the, the wedding scene is in her her restaurant. She's done rest she's done weddings there before and wedding receptions. It's a beautiful restaurant, uh looking over the mountains, Cascade Mountains in in Seattle. And uh so, but it evolves quickly and he comes home drunk one night and hits her and she has a sense of to, to just get out of that marriage. And so what she comes out of it, not trusting men. And uh, so uh, the thing of it is that one, uh, the one young lady, well, a young lady who came with her is named Stella, uh, excuse me, Shelly. And she is kind of impressionable. Uh, and she runs into contact with Cody. Now, Cody is a beautiful Brad Pitt Western cowboy that's always pushing his hair back and women are falling all over him. And uh, so Stephanie looks and so Shelly and, and Cody are starting to kind of meet each other and some sparks are happening. And uh, Stephanie puts Donnie's face on Cody just saying, oh, this is this is going to happen to her just like it happened to me. And so she starts her controlling stalking stuff. I said too much, but there we are. Let's, uh, Thomas, let's go a still under the Nashville segment. Two other chapters that caught my imagination. The awards show and day of rest and sharing. Uh, the awards show is set in the TV studio with a live audience. And in a day of rest and sharing, we have Stephanie and Eric talking about their early years. Would you care to fill the audience in with what's behind the storylines here? Yes, well, as as you point out, John, uh, we've talked before, the award show is the longest chapter in the book. And it, it really is a way not only for these uh, faith these faith heroes to get recognition for what they did in their hometowns, but also for the reader to get to know more about them. And now they start to get, they find out about these stories in, in, a, in a synopsis, a little larger synopsis than they've seen before. So they get a feel for the problems they've, they've been through, like a church shooting, voter fraud, um, 
just a number of things, Me Too generation things in New York. Um, and uh, and, and the, uh, the opioid crisis in Texas. So um, it's a way of, again, looking at these people, finding out who they are, because then it's a lot to dump on, on readers, 10 characters all at once. Uh, and then Stephanie is starting to emerge as the lead character in this first part. And so, uh, and the other thing to, to mention is that you've seen uh, the book, and I, I think it's next to me, but there's a, a lacrosse on this, cover this book, my book, and it's planted in sandals. And the, the importance, and so that, that is my idea of what the awards trophy that they will receive is. And so, um, and it, you know, it just, it points out, you know, God, you, you know, we are, we're God's hands and feet, supposedly as Christians. And, and so that's just a, a visual symbol of that. And that's important, I think, for the reader to pick up on. And also, I, I want to draw attention to Reverend Jameson, Reverend Ted Jameson. He's the uh, head of direct, head of the board of directors for MLCN, More Like Christ Network. And he talks about, uh, at the award show, the reason for the awards, talks about faith, the different faith journeys that exist, and points out how all these people had really different faith journeys, but they all responded, and they all uh, they were all examples of faith in action. And so I want the reader to understand that. Okay. Now... A day of rest and sharing. Shall I go on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. A day of rest and sharing. So that is the day after uh, the award show. And now, <clears throat> see, the heroes have, excuse me, <clears throat> the heroes have two things happening to them. One is come to Nashville, get their awards. Two is do a sting to take down this terrible guy, this televangelist. And he's going to have a uh, outreach uh, three continent outreach to all these people that he's trying to fleece. He's going to lie to them. He's a terrible individual. Uh, I like to make my villains really bad. This guy's really bad. And so, uh, but so there, so this is the Sunday after the award show. His show is going to go on in when on Wednesday the following week. They've got to cobble this whole thing together in just a few days. And uh, so, but before and so stephanie is start nobody's asked her to do it but she's starting to to piece together how this has happened and, and she's giving people roles and they're looking they're like who made you king i mean you know i mean come on and they're giving fake salutes and she doesn't you know she doesn't care because she's a control freak so anyways uh so eric uh and shelly are talking to stephanie over breakfast and eric starts to uh Eric's a therapist, and he he can see that Stephanie is really messed up in in, in a number of ways. But uh, so he's trying to establish rapport and hit it off with her, and makes fun of himself a little bit. And so there's something brewing there that's gonna lead to something else later. Um, and Stephanie, and, and excuse me, and Shelley comes down and talks about her past, which is her parents were meth methamphetamine addicts, and they made the the horrible stuff in their house and they're they're finally put in prison she's raised by her grandparents um she's and all of these characters have learned that usually the usual church situation of showing up 
in a church is not not a friendly place, not a safe place to talk about their hurts. And they they really so Stephanie's learned that that's that's not a good idea. So she uh she goes to Alateen, which is a place that teenagers go when their loved ones, usually their parents, are addicted to drugs or alcohol. So she goes to that. And then in the course of Alateen, uh, after after you're a teenager, you graduate to Al-Anon, which is the same program for people that are uh, connected with addicts in, in adulthood. And so when, she, when Shelly goes from Alateen to Al-Anon, she meets Stephanie. And uh, Stephanie becomes her sponsor in recovery. Generally, if you want to progress, you ask someone who has been in the program longer, has a longer period of good behavior, of selfless humility, uh, honesty, uh, and experience to learn from a mentor. And so uh, Stephanie takes her on and and Shelly lays out her, her story and, and leaps praise on Stephanie. And she smiles, realizing I don't have faith in God. I just wanted to control you. And it's just, you know. So that's, again, it, I spoke. It gets I complex. It does, it does. And I'm making it, I'm talking too much. So let's go. Um, what I want to do now, everybody, is to move along the book. Uh, I want to take the audience, Thomas, to the next part of the book. So we're halfway through. You head up this part of the book under the title Midland slash Odessa. Again, there are a whole host of small, very creative written chapters here. Zooming and the heroes assemble intrigued me. Of course, Zooming is about Cody setting up a Zoom meeting with all the heroes he had worked together in Nashville. And I'm intrigued to think, what's the Zoom meeting about? But more importantly, Thomas, can you fill the audience in a little more about the characters in that Zoom meeting? You know, we've got Kim, we've got Monica, Luther, Martha, Danny, Mikey, Stephanie and Shelley. And of course, Agent Watson and Warren Murphy. So we've got more characters coming in here, everybody. So my question to you, Thomas, is why the storyline here and why these characters? So um, in this part of the book, uh, Cody, who's going to be the lead character of this part, has discovered that there is human trafficking uh, with late with this happens a lot in Texas where individuals migrants come across the border they come across here with nothing uh, they're duped to uh, believe that they'll be they they paid a fee back in home to get here and they're going to be dropped off and everything's going to be great but what happens is they're handed off to people that use them uh, in a labor situation where they're, they're treated very poorly, given no wages, and there's no way of getting out. They keep, they're told over and over, well, you still owe me for this. You still, and their debt goes up. They never pay it off. And uh, they're threatened with death if they leave. It's horrible. It's in slavery. So Cody's discovered some of this in his oil and gas company he works for. And so he, he decides to call back the the heroes. The heroes have had this one, caper that they pull out successfully and they formed a team and so cody uh now is going to suggest to these different people uh to come back part of one kind of an amusing thing in the beginning is of this is that uh eric and stephanie you may remember eric 
being the therapist and Stephanie being the restaurateur. So Eric is in, in West Texas where Cody lives and Stephanie is in Seattle and they're starting to hit it off. They actually went on a little ski trip in which uh, Stephanie who skis and Eric who doesn't uh, sort of got together. He's a bumbling guy. He fell down a lot and she, you know, was laughing at him and stuff like that. But anyway, so they're getting closer. So he invites, uh, Eric wants to invite Stephanie down so she can go to a rodeo and get and get a little closer to her. And uh, he he's unaware, I think, of Cody's experience at work. So um, Cody makes that happen. Stephanie comes down, goes to her first rodeo, which is a big deal here in, in Texas. And uh, it's it's kind of, I, I find it funny. I think uh, most people in Texas would find it amusing and maybe people from other parts of the world because it's a strange event. Anyway, so that happens. And then after the rodeo, they all, the three of them get together and say, you know, there's this thing going on. What about calling the team back, putting the band back together? And so that's the impetus for the Zoom. And at the Zoom, um, the two, so it's always done with law enforcement, John, uh, you know, law enforcement that is appropriate <coughs> for the task, excuse me, <coughs> appropriate for the task. <clears throat> and in this case, it requires the FBI, and there's an Agent Murphy, the local FBI chief there, who will be involved, and Texas Ranger Field, Mar Field Major Jorge Gonzalez, pardon my frog here. <clears throat> um, so... In Texas, there are these 150 Texas Rangers that have uh, particular law enforcement responsibilities in sections of the state, and um, and they are very, uh, very high up in terms of uh, respect and jurisdictional uh, authority. And so the two of the, the those two two company two uh, organizations need to work together with the heroes in order for them to not uh violate uh and not be looked at as a vigilante uh thing you know group and so they're on the zoom but also our heroes and so you you're going to see luther who's an african-american strong silent type he doesn't say a lot but whatever he says is usually perfect um stephanie who's a conniver cody who's uh brad pitt look-alike who struggles with fentanyl addiction uh, Eric, the puzzled, bemused therapist who's who's has insight but is bumbling. Uh, Monica, an Italian American social worker in her in her middle ages, uh, who has a heart of gold and sees people in jams and just has to help them. And she has a little dog named Pookie, a miniature Schnauzer, who has a secret weapon, which will be revealed later. Um, there's Mikey, uh, excuse me, there's Danny, the, uh, the tough guy, the Mexican-American, uh, who came from, came from Juarez, Mexico in childhood. They went up to Chicago, his family did, to put a, uh, the Mexican restaurant together up there. And, um, he became a cop. Um, he had a, a friend who was shot in front of him. Uh, and anyways, he... He develops. He has a, an anger issue, and he takes it out uh, in one of the in one of the uh, events in his life uh, later as a cop. Um, he's a wonderful. He's a huge Chicago Cubs fan, and so Mikey, his son, wanting to impress his dad, uh, is also a character. He's a, he's in his 
twenties. He's both both my uh, father and and son are big Cubs fans, and Mikey plays uh, baseball very well to impress dad, and so they're kind of they're kind of linked. Then they have Shelley, who's another kid who's who's linked to Stephanie, her uh, sponsor, and so Kim, a, who's so there's yes. a whole host of characters here, isn't there? This yes, is what we're yeah. trying to get. There's a whole coast. Um, oh, yes. Have yes. Everybody here. Yeah, yeah. And they're all on Zoom, yeah. Let's go to uh, the Heroes Assemble. Now, this is a very short chapter. So briefly, Thomas, what's going on mm-hmm. here? Well, um, when they uh, when they assemble, they um, you, you, when they come together... It's important to realize these all these people have real jobs and lives at home and away from uh away from these capers. And Cody in this in this uh, chapter takes the lead, her mind Stephanie to sort of back off. She's not gonna run the show this time. And uh ironically though, since they're going to confront not only labor trafficking, but sex trafficking, uh and Shelly is the youngest female that could be used as a honey trap sort of sex kitten to uh you know to sting uh, a john uh she's asked to play that role and stephanie is asked to play her handler many times when uh when not only women young women young men can be involved in this also they are brought to the, the place they're they're going to, to uh, be put in the room and, and perform multiple sex acts a day. They have a handler that makes sure they don't run away, and and they are very not very nice people. And they usually and it's a whole long, many many ways they can be involved. Many many backstories there, but at any rate, so Stephanie is going to play her chaperone or her handler, which is kind of ironic because she's already been told you to. You're too controlling for uh, Shelley in real life, but now she's going to be asked to do that. So um, that is uh, that is basically what's going on there. So let's go. Um, as you know, as you see, everybody, it's the plot. It really is building up everybody, the twists, the turns, um, and the mire that some of these characters get themselves into is just unbelievable. But I want to go to now, still under Midland and Odessa, part of the book. Um, there were a couple more chapters that uh, intrigued me. And one that stood out for me was Rooster. And the other one was Setting the First Trap. Now, in Rooster, we have Cody ringing up Rooster Jenkins, asking him to come over to his place. Rooster's initial thoughts are, oh, what the heck has Cody got himself into this time? And in setting the first trap, well, I'll let you um, spill the beans as to what's going on here. And, of course, initially when you think of Rooster, uh, both of us agreed, we both thought of, you know, a Rooster Cockburn, um, John Wayne. Uh, perhaps that's why I picked the uh, the chapter, yeah. but it's right. a really yeah. good chapter. But So what's going on in these two chapters here? Well, again, it's... When you're reading a novel or you've seen a movie, you have to have a little comic relief or just, I mean, 
So Rooster is the character, much like Gladys was in the first. Gladys was uh, Stephanie's sponsor, and she's a real character also. But Rooster, um, you know, he's a, he's getting close to retirement. He's a plumber. He's a, a recovering meth addict. Um, old mustache. Wilfred Brimley, many people don't know who this guy is, but he he was the perfect uh, scruffy, lovable uh, old oaf kind of guy, and that's that's who Rooster is. And so it's it's a Friday night, and and Cody calls, and, and Rooster's been Cody's sponsor, uh, and and when he went into uh, NA Narcotics Anonymous for his fentanyl addiction, and so you know Friday night, your sponsor calls you. Oh my God, what's he's in jail? What did you do? Who did yeah, you sell did you to? <laughs> what did you do? Where did you wake up? What What are the charges? I mean, it's just, you know, and he says, well, then he explains his, uh, his what he had done. And as you know, John, having read it, uh, Cody had was was trying to set up the sexting operation and went up to this room uh, in this guy's this this man who works in in his uh, oil and gas company has been fired and he's decided to make up the money by making a sex hotel in his upscale neighborhood in Midland. Midland is a rather rather wealthy community. And so um, he goes there and he goes in one of the rooms to pretend. So he pretends to be uh, a client. And uh, when he goes up there and there's this young lady, this young lady naked tied to the bed drugged out on fentanyl the uh the street name for that is apache or was at any rate when i wrote this book and so there's a dish of the apache there and he's telling her look i'm not going to have sex with you don't worry this is not anything she can barely understand it but he takes an apache and and takes it himself which is a big major slip in this program so he felt real guilty about it and that's why he calls rooster when you slip in your program, whatever it is, you're supposed to call your your sponsor, and then you generally go to the generally go to the recovery meetings and get a, a, a desired ship again, whether it's alcohol or drugs or gambling or sex or whatever it is. You just you, that's part of the program is is rigorous honesty. So that's that's the whole reason for him calling Rooster. So he calls at night. Cody comes over, crashes on the couch. Uh, Rooster gets up in his underwear, makes coffee, and then they go to this place they used to go to where they would share, um, you know, share their lives. And they're making, they, they order breakfast and it comes. And then, as I told you before, John, uh, Rooster's prayer, I like it because it's short, sincere, to the point. God doesn't need you to go down 27 things or you, you don't, you don't have to impress him with your uh, faith or your biblical knowledge or your, your fancy words or, you know, and that's what I liked about, about that. It's very, very honest. Now setting the first trap, Cody's assigning the roles um, for this trap, for this thing. And uh, Monica agrees again. So Monica is again, the uh, Italian American. She's from Queens. She's a social worker. Uh, and she, in the first part, played the role of a patsy who was calling in to to make to to uh 
donate money to Reverend Mike Tillotson's uh, ministry. And that's important because and they, of course, uh, take her money and, and, and do something very illegal with it. And that's important to get the FBI involved uh, because it's, it's out of states, cross state borders. And the same thing she's going to do here in this part. So Monica is going to play this social worker in uh, Washington state this time who uh, has discovered uh, Shelly and decided that she would be a good sex slave. See, some, some, the, the way that some of these, into, some of these young kids get involved in, um, in this horrible sex trade is they are wounded, they're vulnerable, and they're picked up on by unscrupulous people. Now, sometimes the unscrupulous people are pastors. Uh, sometimes they're police officers. Sometimes they are uh, social workers and therapists even. And so, so Monica is one of these dirty social workers, supposedly her character is up in, in Seattle or Washington, whatever. And so she's going to call down to at the point where the man is going to buy Shelly and she's going to exact a fee from him, which again would represent an offense the FBI would have, would say grace over. So that's why it was really, really important to uh, to get her into the picture. Um, Stephanie is asked by Cody, uh, again, to be her handler. Uh, and he point, she says, you know, this is a little weird based on what I've done before. And he says, well, it's part of your therapy. Think of it that way. And at the end, she goes out with Shelly to pick out sexy clothes, you know, just ridiculously. Those shops that you never go into, but you know where they are in your town. They're going there to get the the yeah, wear. Yeah, it's... the scanty wear. <laughs> Do you know what, everybody? There's 208 pages in this book, but as you can see, they are packed. The story is absolutely phenomenal, and it's packed. Now, there are three parts to the book, so we're going to go to the third part, and that's headed on to Chicago. The third and final part of the book, and the shortest part. What you talk about in the chapters, the four points, was food for thought. But Bureau Chief Lindy Weathers' character, now she's a tough lady who doesn't like civilians getting involved in string operations. These chapters, they're very short scenes, so briefly, can you tell us to the, you know, what is the background to these chapters, this storyline here, the scenes here? So, John, the Four Points is uh, the name of the hotel that Danny picks to summon the heroes. Now, again, from a reader's standpoint, you're going to realize you already know about these characters at this point. And you know what they do. They they get together and they do wonderful things. They they take they the adventures and they uh they've already done two of them. So you kind of have an idea that okay, so what's going on here? So this time uh the goal is to prevent a race riot. And Danny encounters that uh on the way to a Cubs game, Cubs baseball game, and uh, there's black and white groups screaming at each other, looking like they want to kill each other, calling all racial epithets you can imagine going back and forth. And uh, so the, the the riot is starting to break out. So he decides to call, you know, who are you going to call? You call the heroes back in. And so uh, 
the Four Points is a hotel. And John, as we've mentioned before, um, hotels are important in this book because it's a, it's a it's a place where they assemble. It's a place where they have meetings, um, where they have Zoom meetings with law enforcement, where they put to couple together their plans. They go online and find out information that they need uh, to make sure that they're doing things correctly. Uh, it's just a whole a whole range of things, and so um, uh, so that's that's kind of what they're doing. And it, it, you know, these are all like the Sheridan in uh, Nashville is a real place. Uh, I believe the Ramada in West Texas. And the hotels aren't that important, but just to point out, I try to make the things realistic where you can say, "Uh huh, that really happened." So, um, and so, and bureau chief. Um, Lindy Withered, Weathers, you mentioned that she's she's a tough lady. She's she's yeah, a tough lady, tough, isn't she? Tough she's lady, very tough lady. You know, as as we've said, you don't get to that position in law enforcement, particularly FBI, without being tough. I mean, you're going to hear every obscenity, every racial epithet you can imagine. There's going to be people that are backbiting you, saying you only got that job because you're a woman and a black woman. You know, there's that sort of stuff. And you've got to be have a thick skin on you, but you still re- recognize that what you want to do is to uphold the law and to make sure it's followed. And, and this lady has raised two; she's a single mom, raised two uh, two sons that are now their teens in the South Side of Chicago. South Side of Chicago is not a pretty place. It's uh, you know most cities have whites live here, blacks live here. Well. In, in the south side of Chicago, there's some terrible gangs and some terrible things that go on. Most of the shootings that you hear about in Chicago are there. Um, and so she has gotten herself out of there with her sons. And 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 so she and she's calling the shots and she doesn't need anybody's uh, permission to call the shots. She's going to tell them uh, and she's going to tell Danny. Danny is, is, is a tough guy, but not like this woman. So he's he's brought this before her, uh, and then she is going to direct them on on what to do, pointing out, as you say, citizens aren't invited into these things. It's very unusual. Private citizens can get in the way, and uh, and you're not going to be given any weapons. You know, people say, "Oh boy, we have to shoot people." No, 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 no. And so you you're going to help us. You are going to help us enforce the law. And the interesting thing is when the FBI or police are out there in one of these riots, they really can't do anything until somebody gets shot. They can't, they cannot intervene until injuries or death happens. This is insane. But uh, that's because, you know, protest, right? In the UK and the US, it's it's respected. Uh, it, it's honored. And who's to say what's peaceful and not peaceful? And who's to say what's just passionate and not abusive, right? So um, that is that is kind of what they're dealing with there. Um, so uh, let's see here. Yeah, and Danny wanted to point out to uh, Lindy that this group was not a vigilante group and that, that they would uh, abide by their supervision. And not mess up her investigation. Exactly. 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 Yeah. And finally, Thomas, no, let's go to um, the teams are set and Willie Jackson, those two mm-hmm. chapters. In the teams mm-hmm. are set, 
you kick start uh, the story off by Danny calling Chief Weathers. And then mm-hmm. Willie Jackson, the TV interview. Mm-hmm. Are you taking mm-hmm. the readers with these two little chapters towards the end? But don't give the game away, just very, very briefly. Where are you taking us here? <laughs> well, well, well. So, uh, so the team's being set. So Danny's dealing... Uh, with being away from the action. He's been informed by Lindy Weathers that he do, he's not going to be down on the street there with the other heroes. There's going to be eight of them down there, and he's going to be back here. And Danny then asks for Mikey, his son, to be with him because Mikey's the IT person in this group. He's the one that can communicate, get everybody together, uh, knows how to put in the digital images and, and sound in a way that's recoverable later. So he, he needs to work. And so it's another a situation where Danny and Mikey can work together, which is very, very big deal uh, in their lives. So Danny, but Danny's, you know, he's, a, he's, he wants to be in on the action. Cops just want to be down there where the rubber meets the road. And um, so he's disappointed. Uh, but then in the Willie Jackson chapter, uh, he's watching, he's watching TV as the the race riot continues to evolve and expand and worsen over the few days, and so they interview this this angry black man on the at the riot, and he's saying, you know, it's always been this way: white man killing black men uh, for no reason, just be driving in your car and you're guilty. Uh, and just shooting us for no reason, and it's terrible. And, and this one, this one cop uh, wanted to beat me in the head and gave and fr- fractured my skull. And he's, he's pointing to his skull. There's a scar there with an indentation indicating he had a skull fracture, and it's taken. And Danny's watching this, and he realizes he was a cop that beat Willie Jackson, what 20, 25 years ago, when he was a he was a cop. Uh, he was a fresh cop, a rookie cop in Chicago, and he had just gone through, uh, not just, but years ago, he had gone through the horrible tragedy of seeing his only friend, another Mexican-American uh, kid named Jose, who was playing uh, Sandlot baseball across the street from their school, uh, get shot and killed by a drug drive-by drug thing. It happens frequently, and so he and he's shot and killed, and um, he's just devastated. And and he runs as a as a after that he runs into uh, Officer Alvarez, who was his mentor, and he's a uh, he's he gets into to uh, police work basically because he wants to be like uh, Officer Alvarez. Um, but what happens is that uh, when 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 Danny is young in his, uh, you know, early in his police career, he comes across a shooting and there is a dead body on the ground and the smoking gun. And Willie Jackson comes along and picks up the gun to look at it. And he hasn't done a thing wrong, but he's just investigating. And of course, Danny comes along and, and assumes that Willie is the killer and he beats him in the head into, into a coma. And um, and so that's and and Danny was never reprimanded. He was never it was never discovered out. There was no complaints 
so he Danny's had all this guilt in him. Uh, and then there's there's the man who he who he beat on TV. And so at that point, he knows he's got to commence, and he talks that over with Officer Alvarez. So you see, everyone, this book is action-packed. Now, you describe, you know, the description of your book, you say that the heroes is the work of Christian fiction with stories of real faith journeys. And when you look at the cover of the book with a wooden cross and, you know, with a white cloth draped across it, I was interested So, why that image, but if, my question to you really is, if you were on a book signing in, uh, in an event and someone picked up your book and asked, what's the underlying Christian aspect to this book? How would you answer them? It's and basically would, faith and in And would they see your viewpoints? Yeah. How would they answer yeah. them? Would you see their, your viewpoints? I, I hope they would see that the, these are stories of faith in action. And that's, I think that the cross, the risen Christ here with the, uh, with the robe over the cross, meaning he's risen, uh, in, in, in sandals that we would wear. So, uh, you know, we're, we can be actors, uh, ambassadors for Christ in doing things. And so, uh, but it takes the things that we are called on to do as these, heroes were are enormous very scary uh improbable um borderline miraculous and so that's not done without god and without faith um you know it, it you just it's kind of like the the people in ukraine or israel are going into battle and they're going house to house and they don't know that they're going to be killed. There's going to be an airstrike. You're in this battle, and you're just going ahead, and you're uh, you're hoping, you're praying to God, let me do my job, uh, but don't you know protect me, protect my my family. And it, it's there's so many uh, there's so many John um, examples of true faith heroes in our world today. Think about all the healthcare workers during the COVID, during COVID who um, <clears throat> risked their lives going to work, risked their family's lives because if they came home with COVID and gave it to them, they could die. This is before any vaccines or anything else, who had to work multiple uh, shifts because they couldn't get people in and they were terribly understaffed. These, these men and women had to be at the bedside of individuals who were dying from COVID who could not be comforted by their families because of, of uh, isolation procedures. Uh, it's just astounding hmm. to to think about those folks, and that's that's one of the reasons I wanted to write a book like this is to is to champion those folks, those real life faith heroes that exist all around us. So that's the book, everyone. But I'm intrigued to know if Thomas has got any more books coming down the line. Any more stories? Well, yeah, John. Um, so I, I've thought of of the heroes being sort of uh, the the initial work that could lead forward to more adventures with the heroes, or you could go backwards and do prequels, do the do the background stories. I've written basically all the short stories 
the five short stories that led to uh, to this novel. And that could be released. Uh, I'm also trying to turn the um, the first part, the uh, part in Nashville into a, a feature film or perhaps stream TV streaming event. So I've learned to, to write a screenplay on it. And so that's being uh, looked at currently. And then behind me, I've got a, this my storyboard for writing screenplays. And I've got another one that I'm writing now in the process uh, of putting it together. It's about uh, the abortion issue and uh, a young lady who's a, a piano prodigy. It's called the, Orf the Orphan Prodigy. And um, I think it's interesting. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's tremendously, it's great in retirement to find something that you're really passionate about. There so, you go. There are things yeah. coming down the line, everybody. Yeah. I'm interested to know, Thomas, who do you see uh, reading your books? And more importantly, who would you like to see reading your books? I would like to see people who have been, as I said before, faith heroes themselves, uh, maybe see themselves in some of these people uh, and see them receiving recognition and accolades uh, on 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 their their very courageous things that they've done. Uh, certainly, uh, Christian, I, you know, I, I would assume if you just look at this book and it's got a cross on it, uh, you're gonna a Christian would say, "Oh, that might be interesting." And someone who's not might say, "I'd never read that." And I, I would like, I'm like Christian. I'm thinking middle age. Um, I, I think you need to be thirty or so before you can understand uh how you get to this faith because this faith isn't stuff that you you learn in church and you never had any problems and you just go do something you know historic you know heroic um so i think somebody in their 35 to on uh to 55 something like that age group women of course read more than men so probably that and not just christians but also non-christians people who are looking for a reason to believe in Christ. Fair enough. Where can people get your books from? Well, I have a website uh, that is uh, the-book- uh, excuse me, the-heroes-book.com. And on that, you see uh, the book. Uh, there's, a, there's a little blurb about the upcoming uh texas book festival next next weekend uh I'll, we'll be taking that down after that weekend goes by and putting something else up in there and at the and there's the there's uh the synopsis of the of the books that you can find on the back that you read and at the bottom if you go down you can buy it in three places uh, amazon crime and uh barnes and noble and westbow press west my, my publisher is westbow press and they have an online bookstore so you can buy the book, uh, those three places for sure. Thomas Tracy, thank you very much for giving me the wonderful opportunity to interview about yourself and your book, The Heroes. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching wherever you are in the world. Until next time, stay safe.